And so uh, we're starting a, a new sermon series that will take us through the rest of the year, all seven weeks of it. Yeah, how many knew there were seven weeks left in 2023? But this series is entitled Reaching for Hope. Our entire theme for the year of 2023 was, of course, reaching. And so we're going to, uh, uh, to reach. And so we're going to finish out 2023 talking about reaching for hope. Because let's face it, about 99% of what people do is based in some concept of hope. We do things hoping that it'll make us feel better. We do things hoping that it'll influence others in a way that we want. We, we do things hoping that it will change the world, that it'll affect something. Now, those things we do oftentimes aren't the best things, and they actually take away from hope, but, you know, that's what our enemy does uh, when he confuses us. He gets us to believing up is down and left is right and right is left. And we start thinking that things that should give us hope, you know, they actually take away hope. And so we're going to look at a few different ways that God has ordained for us to find hope in our life. And this is a hope that is secure, the kind of hope that does not disappoint, the kind of hope that gives strength, resolve, peace, comfort, The kind of hope that you can look at and say, you know what? Nobody can take this away from me. Because that is hope, right? You know, a lot of people put their hope in things like money. What happens if your hope is in money? You know, they say money talks, and it's true. Because if you listen, you can hear it talk. It says goodbye. (laughs) You'll be disappointed. Some people put their hope in in health, and that's great until an accident happens. A disease that you can't control comes into your life that it's nobody's fault, it's there, it's just we live in a broken world, and, and there it is. And that hope can be shattered in an instant. What we're going to talk about in this series is the kind of hope that nothing can touch. Whatever the enemy wants to throw at you, it doesn't matter. The Bible says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You see, Satan wants to steal your hope, but we have a sure hope in Jesus Christ that nothing (coughs) can touch. But we have to make sure that we are reaching for that hope in the right way. Otherwise, sometimes we may think we're reaching for that hope, but we're reaching for something less. And then we get confused because we think, well, I was reaching. I I was doing what I was supposed to. And now we kind of set our sights a little too low and it let us down. But it wasn't God that let us down. And so this week we are going to start really foundationally. We're going to look at the hope of faith. Because faith is at the core of everything that God wants from us. It's always been about faith. In the Old Testament, it was about faith. In the New Testament, it's about faith. In the world we live in now, it's about faith. God wants faith from his people. So what is faith? And how does it bring us hope? Because this isn't faith in faith. Some people have that. You just got to believe. Just believe. Well, what do I believe? You just got to believe. Well, what do I believe? Just believe. 
And it's this endless circle of we don't know what it is we believe in, but we really believe it strong. And we, we put our hope in that belief that somehow the, 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 the human spirit will just overcome. No, the, the human spirit doesn't overcome. The spirit of God overcomes. And so we're going to look in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Because this is what many call the faith hall of fame in the Bible. And it is one of the best explanations of biblical faith that you will have. What does it mean to believe, to have faith that God recognizes? Not faith in faith and not faith in something lesser and not just a superstitious intellectual agreement, but genuine biblical faith. And so we're going to look, uh, we're just going to read here at the beginning, verses 1 through 6. So if you have your scripture, it's on the screen, uh, whichever, uh, read with me now. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So one of the first things for us to really grab hold of is that we need to understand the promises of God. Because this is the root of faith. If we're going to have faith in God, we've got to understand who it is we're putting our faith in and why we're putting our faith in him. You know, that's what I love is that God doesn't require us to, faith is not a step in the dark. Have you ever heard that? You know, it's just like a step in the dark. And it's not a step in the dark. God lights the path for you. Now, does he give you every detail you could want? No, that's where faith comes in. But he doesn't just leave us to figure it out in the dark and say, well, here's a promise. Now take a step and I hope it works out. You see, we have an informed faith. God has spoken. God has taught us. God has given us all kinds of evidence for his existence, for his goodness. He has given us promises. And the more we understand those promises, the better our decision for stepping out in faith will be. The more solid that, that choice will be. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment that I am a person who does not have faith. And all of you are the people who do have faith, okay? You are the, the people of God, and I am scared to death. There's a fire coming behind me, but I can't see the ground right here. All I can do is hear your voices, okay? You with me? Fire coming from behind. I'm on this stage, and I can't see the floor, and all I can do is hear your voices. And I'm too afraid to step off the stage because I don't know how far the drop is. Now, blind faith would say, well, I need to just jump. Just jump and hope for the best. Informed faith is you all telling me, hey, look, we're here. We see the fire. 
I know you can't see the floor, but I'm telling you it's safe. I'm right here. I can see you. You can't see me. But if you just listen to my voice and take a jump, it's only about two and a half feet. You you don't even have to jump. You can just kind of crawl off of it and you'll be okay. Now that's informed faith. I still can't see the floor. But I have voices. I have the the truth telling me, guiding me along the way. And God does that same thing for us. And he gives us the foundation for what to believe in order to hear him, in order to know his voice here in Hebrews. Okay? And so listen again to verses 1 through 3. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What am I hoping for in our imaginary situation? To survive the fire. To not die by plunging to my death, by stepping off there. Okay? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If I step off the stage, what is my conviction? That what you've told me is true. That the floor is there, and I'm not going to plunge to my death, and my step is what proves my belief. See, I could stay up here all day and say, I believe that the floor is there, but if I don't ever step off of it, I don't really believe it. It's that step that is the substance. It's the proof, the conviction of my belief. And so he says, for by it, the people of old. Now, people of old meaning the Old Testament people. Okay, so take every Old Testament person that you could think of that had faith in God. And he says, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the promises of God will always start with conviction arising from the unseen. It will always start with a conviction arising from the unseen. Do you understand that the foundation of our very existence, according to Hebrews, is in what we cannot see? What was it? The world was created at the word of God. Can we see the word of God? No. Can we know the word of God? Yes. We can experience, we can hear it, we can know the truth, but we can't see God creating the world. And so right now, faith is already taking us away from the five senses as being the foundation for our existence. Now, do you see the the dichotomy that's being set up here? Those who live in the world, of the world, and follow the world live by sensuality, the five senses. It's about what we can see, what we can touch, what we can experience, what we can know physically right now. Faith begins with saying, hey, ultimate reality is not the physical world. It begins with what you can't see and turns into that which you can. That is an entirely different way of seeing existence, life. And this is the beginning point. You see, the promises of God will start with conviction arising from the unseen and produce a hope in something that has not yet come to pass. So do you see the present is what we see and feel and experience with the five senses. But the foundation of it all begins with what we can't see and the hope for all of it leads to something we've not yet experienced. Which means our life is not all about the present moment. This is important. 
Hebrews states this, but it's in reverse order, and that's why many times, you ever been confused by this passage? You you know, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He kind of says it backwards as to how we'll experience it. The, The assurance of things hoped for is the result. The conviction of things unseen is the beginning. And we believe both of those, and that affects how we live in the present. Faith is the conviction of the unseen truth that leads us to the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, it's hope for the future. God wants us to have hope for the future. Now, can we look at the present world and lose hope? Yeah. I mean, we can. And you know what? It's always been that way. Nobody can look back and say, oh, hey, the world, you know, it's so much worse today than it was. It's always been bad. It's always been bad. The world will always be dark. The world will always have problems. But God will always be good, and those who have faith in him have hope. And thus are not shaken to the core by the events of their day. Now, that doesn't mean we look at it and we turn a blind eye and say, oh, no, no, everything's fine. It just means that we look at it and say, oh, this is passing. This is not going to be the final reality of our world. This is not going to be how it is for all eternity. And so he goes into then, he says, by it, the people of old received their commendation. How were the people in the Old Testament saved? Was it by keeping the law? No. Was it by performing sacrifices? No. How were they saved? By faith. Exactly how you and I are saved. The difference is their faith was forward-looking. They believed the Messiah was coming. And they looked forward to it. They believed the word of God. And it began with their belief that God created the world. And then they had a belief that God was going to redeem the world. And so their faith functioned exactly like ours today. Nothing changed as far as faith is concerned between the Old and New Testament. Faith has always been faith. And that's what the author of Hebrews wants to see. He says, by this, the people of old got their commendation. What is that? God commended their faith. He saw the people of faith and he said, this is who, this is how I want things to be. This is faith. This is who listens to me. These are the people who trust me. And so he says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Spiritual power and results do not come from what is visible. In the Old Testament, it didn't, and it still doesn't. We don't get closer to God by basing our lives on what is seen. If we base our lives on what is seen, we're going to question God's love for us. We're going to be in a constant state of turmoil. We're going to constantly be reaching for that that mountaintop spiritual experience. Anybody else been there? I've been there. You know what God did to me? There was, there, there was a time in my life it was, man, I needed that worship and I needed the, 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 the emotional experience. And, and not that they're bad in themselves, but, man, I just I kind of wanted to go from event to event to event. You know, maybe that has something to do with growing up in youth and youth camps and stuff. I don't know. But I just, I really needed that. And so I, I would try to regenerate it all the time. And I got tired of it because I thought, no, this can't be, this can't be good. I'm like, 
God is always here. Why do I need this stuff so much? And so then one day during worship, when I was beginning seminary, I prayed, God, if it's not of you, don't let it affect me like that. I did not know what I was praying. But God happily granted it, and it was like he turned off the faucet. And you know what? I had years where I had to relearn how to worship. Because God kind of took my emotion right out of it and said, okay, you've been chasing, you've been putting your hope in a feeling. And when I prayed, God said, okay, let's turn that off. And he just pulled it all out of me. And suddenly I found myself at moments in worship where I normally would have been really excited. And I'm just, eh. I, I wasn't bored, but I just, I wasn't moved. I didn't feel that emotional pull. And then for a while, I was like, God, what's wrong? What's wrong? What, what happened? Where'd you go? And I was panicking. I really was. And God was silent for a good while. And finally, I was like, God, what is going on? And he says, you prayed for this. I'm like, no, I didn't. And I, I knew. I knew. And I said, no, I didn't. And I was like, yes, I did. And I had to relearn how to worship God in spirit and in truth. And it changed me forever. And I realized I was putting my hope in the wrong thing. Instead of it being the steadfast truth of God, it was hope in just me feeling good about life. You know what? That's a mountain. That, that's, a, that's a roller coaster ride none of us wants. Our faith can't handle that. And so... What he starts to tell us now is that spiritual power and results do not come from what is seen. What is seen came about from what is unseen. And this is a truth that holds throughout life. If this is how we see life, then we'll have room for faith, room for God, and room for the extraordinary because we will not limit ourselves to what can be experienced by the five senses. We won't see the events of the present as ultimate final reality. We'll say, you know what? God can do anything. God can raise someone from the dead after they've been gone for four days. God can do anything. He's not limited like I am. And it makes room for faith in our lives. And so what he's telling us is that we have to invest ourselves in the unseen in order to get results in the seen. Now, we try to do that backwards, don't we? Mm -hmm. We want to invest ourselves in what's seen, hoping that it will move God's hand and he'll bless us. You see, we want to earn it. We want to be in control of it. And he says, no, you've got to put all that down and you've got to invest in what you can't see. You've got to build your faith in the unseen, in the truth of God, and listen to him, and it will affect what you see and experience. And it changes everything. And how will this happen? Well, we invest ourselves in the unseen because of the conviction that comes from the truth. We learn the truth. And it changes us. In our first truth, our first truth conviction for faith, what is seen was made by what is unseen. If we don't have that first conviction that God is the creator of heaven and earth and all, that it was created by his word, we won't get anywhere in our faith. You see, there's a foundational truth there that we either believe what the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, or 
We're stuck in the natural with no room for the supernatural. And if we're stuck in the natural, then what do we do? We say ridiculous things like the universe created itself. (laughs) Out of nothing, nothing for no reason became something. With nothing to help it. And that's the logic that we have to live in. Or we believe what God said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I can't see it, but it's the conviction that I know is true. And it leads to the the substance of our hope that if God can create the universe by speaking it to an existence, then he can take care of me. Then he is worthy of praise. Now, this is a truth that goes throughout the Bible. And we don't realize how foundational it actually is. But when we come to the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, here's how he puts it in Romans 1, 19 and 20. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his, what? His invisible attributes. There it is again, unseen. His invisible attributes, namely his, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived in the scene ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Paul's saying the exact same thing that Hebrews is saying right here. That by faith we understand that what is seen was made by what is unseen. The world itself is evidence of God. That is the starting point for all faith. Okay, that is the story. If you want a solid faith in God that is going to affect your life and affect the lives of others and and, and be rewarded by God, you must begin with the right foundation, and that is that God is the creator of all. And he didn't need, now get this, some of you are going to understand this quickly. He did not need some natural process to make it happen. He spoke it into existence. He didn't start it rolling and walk away and let it develop on its own. He spoke it into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. He didn't say, let me fashion light and let it form over billions of years, and now it's it's there. He said, let there be, and it was. So once we get these promises of God, Okay, because every promise of God starts with a conviction in the unseen and a hope for what is coming and a hope for the future. Okay, it is never primarily and only about right now. Every promise of God has to do with the foundation and the hope for the future at the same time. And what do we do with those? We live by the promises of God then. And when I say live by them, I mean we act on them. We make decisions based on them. We allow them to influence us in every way. You see, the author of Hebrews now turns his attention to what it looks like in life to live with this reality. He goes into what many call the Faith Hall of Fame with example after example of how people acted in faith. We don't have time to study each and every one, so y'all can breathe a sigh of relief. But we are going to highlight a few examples that show just how we find hope in the conviction of truth that leads us to a belief about the future and how that hope will absolutely lead us to specific actions. Here's another truth of faith. Faith always leads to action. 
Anybody that makes you believe that faith is simply a superstitious intellectual agreement with something, that, that, that's it. That's not true. Faith requires obedience. Faith requires action. Now, when I say obedience, you're not earning anything with God. That's the wrong order. You're getting it backwards. Okay, we're not earning with God. We're responding to God. And faith requires a response every time. Okay? And how do I know this? James talks about it in 219. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So when a person says, well, I believe in God. Good. Even Satan believes in God. That's not enough. Faith requires more than just a simple agreement on an established fact. You can even say, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus walked the earth. Good. Do you believe what he believed? Do you believe that he died for your sins and is he Lord of your life? And if he's Lord of your life, how are you obeying him and following him? You see, faith requires action. And it's in that action that we find hope, okay? And you know what? Here's the truth. The demons who believe in God have no hope. No hope at all. There is no hope for them. Their future is a fiery pit for all eternity. One day, God will cast them into hell for all eternity. They have no hope, and yet they believe in God. Let that sink in for a second. They have no hope, yet they believe in God. Faith is more than simple agreement. Faith is belief that demands action. This is why James can confidently say in James 2.26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If your faith does not lead you to a behavior, to a way of thinking, to a lifestyle, if it doesn't push you in the direction of action, you don't really believe it yet. You don't really believe it yet. You may agree with it. It may sound good. You may agree with it in theory. You may even acknowledge that it's the greatest truth that's ever been given. But until it moves you to action, you don't yet have faith in it. Because faith requires action. And so now, let's go back to Hebrews, verse 4. Now that we understand that faith leads to action, what does the book of Hebrews do? In verse 4, it says, by faith, Abel, what's the word? Offered. What is that? It's action. His faith led him to do something. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended. You see, God commends faith action. You know why? Because faith action seeks to honor him. And he says, yes, that honors me. You have acted in accordance with a faith that is based on the truth. Therefore, I commend that. That is a good thing. And it says, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having what? Pleased God. That means his life. What he did reflected his faith in God. The actions lined up with his belief. 
His belief forced actions into his life. And then verse 6. I love this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, there are two things here, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, over and over in the Gospels, a lack of faith is always demonstrated by one thing. People turning away from Jesus. You see, over and over, and they no longer followed Jesus. They turned away. He walked away sad. You see this turning away from from Jesus over and over when people no longer have faith. Why? Because their actions show that they are no longer following him. They're either following in action or turning away in action, and it shows what they believe. That's what faith is. And so by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Abel's conviction in the unseen led him to offer a sacrifice that was in keeping with the holiness of God. His offering revealed the substance of his belief. And God honored that offering. Now, he believed so strongly in his conviction of the truth that God is good, that God is holy, that God is worthy, that we don't know what the offering really was, but it was something substantial. Abel was willing to sacrifice for the God who was worthy, and his sacrifice showed, I love him. I love God, and I want to please him with every fiber of my being, so here's my best. And his sacrifice was accepted by God. Cain's was not. You know why? Because for Cain, it was some kind of duty. It was something else. It was not done in faith. It was done out of duty. It was done out of requirement. And God said, no, I don't accept that. Now, was that the end of the story? No, he told him, he says, do what's right. You'll be accepted. See, God even gave Cain an opportunity to say, do the right thing. Get your heart right. Come back to me, and I'll accept it. And God does the same thing with us. He's always willing to accept anybody and everybody if we will come to him on his terms, which is faith. And so we see here God's reaction tells the story here. It's not really the story of Cain and Abel. It's God's reaction to Cain and Abel that is the story. See, our actions will elicit a reaction from God. And it's easy because it's one of two reactions, isn't it? Acceptance or rejection. We either walk in faith and we're accepted or we don't. And he says, try again. Until one day he won't say try again. He'll say depart from me for I never knew you. You see this life is where we have to get faith right. And this is the only time we can do it. Once this life is over we don't get any more chances. And so we live by faith in the promises of God. The effects of that faith will outlive us. And he talks about Enoch here. Look at verse 5. It says by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found. Now, this is one of two people in the Bible that did not die. God just simply took them to heaven because they were walking with God. Now, why did he do that with Enoch? This was before the flood. And what was happening on the earth? The earth was full of darkness. There was apparently, you know, there there, there was Noah and his family. 
and Enoch. And they're the only people serving God, apparently, at this point. And Enoch didn't have any children, and so God wasn't going to destroy Enoch in the flood, so what did he do? He took him to heaven, and then he told Noah, you better build an ark, buddy. Flood's coming. And he spends 120 years building the, the, the ark, and his family is saved. You see, God's reaction to faith was consistent. He saved Enoch, he saved Noah and his family. He saved the people of faith. And so, it says, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And so, one of the things for faith that, that I love, and this is, this is really the good part of the sermon, everything else is just set up to this, okay? Is that we've got to be rewarded by the, the God of promise. You see, what did he say earlier in verse 6? It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. God requires faith. That's all he requires. Our sacrifices, our, all of these things don't set us right with him. We are only made right with God by faith, and that is a proper faith in the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross for us. Now, we will live by that same faith. We will never outgrow faith. You never become so righteous you don't need faith. It's always about faith, has always been about faith, will always be about faith. We just got to make sure it's faith in the right thing, and that is in Jesus Christ who died for us and was raised again on the third day and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And he says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There are two elements of genuine faith. One, a core conviction in the existence of the unseen. That God, though unseen, exists. And I love how Hebrews says this. Whoever draw near to God must believe that he exists. Doesn't that seem to make sense? And yet he has to write it. God is like, I'm going to put this out as plainly as I can for you. If you want to please me, you must believe that I exist. And yet I think a lot of people claim a belief in God, but they live like he doesn't exist. And I don't just mean in, in sin, in rebellion. I, I, it's, it's so much bigger than that. There are very religious people who have no joy and no hope in their lives because they live like God doesn't exist and that it's all up to them. That I have to be good enough. And I have to fix the world, and I have to run the perfect church, and I have to have the perfect family, and i got to do all of this work all the time, and, and you're exhausted. You know why? Because your hope is in your ability to make things good. And you know what? None of us are good enough to do that. None of us are powerful enough. None of us have the wisdom and, and, and the insight and the power to change things to make everything good. We've got to put our hope in God, and we've got to live as though, look, God is in control. And so if you watch the news every night and it freaks you out, look, God's in control. In the end, he wins. And you know what? The Bible tells us, nation, there will be wars and rumors of wars and nation will rise against nation. And he says, these things must happen. They're the beginning of birth pains, but the end is not yet. Don't be unsettled by geopolitical events. Okay, just don't. God is still in control. 
And when I say he's in control, I mean he's in control. Think about the book of Job. Who was really in control in that situation? Was it Satan? No. Satan had to ask permission of God to hurt Job. Now, I know that seems weird. And they're like, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about hope. Yeah, Job had hope. It was the fact that Job was righteous is the reason this happened. And Satan said, yeah, he only likes you because you blessed him. He says, no, it's more than that. Go ahead, take away his blessing and see what happens. Takes away the blessing. Guess what? Job will not curse God. Why? Because he had hope. He had faith. Now, was he confused? Yes. Was he hurt? Absolutely. Was he wounded at a deep level? Yes. Faith isn't for the faint of heart. Faith is not for those who want life to be all rainbows and kittens all the time. Faith is a battle. Faith is a war. But God is good. And so he says there are two elements of genuine faith, and that is a core conviction in the existence of the unseen, in the existence of God, and two, actions that give present substance to future hope. He rewards those who seek him. I have to believe. If I want to please God, I have to believe that he sees my efforts and will reward them. Now, don't get this twisted. I did not say he was going to make you rich. I didn't say that just because you praised, all of your wildest dreams are going to come true. This is not vote for Pedro, okay? Some of y'all get that, others don't. That's okay. Y'all can talk to younger people and find it. But it is that God will reward his people. And we have to believe that. I love that God is like, look, don't come to me thinking that I'm not going to interact with you in a positive way. I will reward those who seek me. And we have to believe that. You know why? Because that's where our hope comes from. God is not this God whom we have to, have to placate and we, he's angry with us and we have to do something to assuage his anger and, and, and make a sacrifice just so he'll leave us alone. That's pagan gods. God says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me, and I will make your path straight. Come to me, and I'll give you wisdom without finding fault. You see, God has these promises, and we've got to believe that he means them. Put your faith in Jesus. You will be saved. Think about the promises of God and how positive they are. We can't go to God thinking he's withholding everything and he's mad at us. That doesn't please him. And you know why it doesn't please him? Because he loves us so much that it's an insult to his character when we go to him and think he's being mean to us when we go to him thinking he's withholding from us he's like i'm not withholding anything i've given you life i've given you breath i've given you everything that i can give i gave you my son i've given you my word i've given you my spirit i've given you a future and a hope and you think that i'm angry and, and punishing you and you need to do something to stop it? God's like, that's not me. That's not who I am. You really think that's who I am? And no, we can't please God if that is our mindset. We have to believe that he is good. And sometimes genuine faith is as simple as having a conviction that God is good 
and should be trusted in all circumstances. It's that simple. Because if we do that, then we will look for ways to please him. We will look for ways to serve him. Even in the most difficult circumstances, we'll still praise him. We'll still follow him. We'll still put him first. And that's what we see. What happens with Job? He loses everything. He loses his business. He loses his home. He loses his family. His own wife looks at him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And he loses everything. And he falls to the ground and he tears his clothes and he's weeping. And you know what he says? the scripture says he does next? And he worshiped the Lord. You know why? Because he knew where his hope was. Now, he does get to a point that he's like, God, just kill me. If you want me dead, we can, we can shorten this up and just go ahead and end this. I don't, don't have to go through all this. But he never curses or turns away from God. And God blesses him. And he will do the same. And so in Hebrews, he goes on and he gives us just example after example after example of people who did this very thing, that they had a conviction in the unseen, it gave them hope for the future, and in the present, their actions revealed that conviction and led them to the blessing. And so just listen, in verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was looking to the future, believing the promises in the present. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, in him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promised, the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We have that same hope. We are striving for that same city. We call it heaven. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is found in the conviction of the truth of the unseen, the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, which none of us has seen because, you know, we're not 2,000 years old. But we have the promise of heaven in the future, which hasn't happened yet, but it gives us hope now. This is what the hope of faith is all about. It's not about perfection. It's not about having all the answers. It's about knowing God is in control and he has sealed this up for all eternity and all you've got to do is trust and walk with him. Put your faith in him. You will be saved. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. God, we thank you that you have given us this living hope, God. 
Lord, help us to, to know what it is to, to walk by faith, not, not just to agree in mind, but to follow with the heart. And that the mind and the heart would work together to glorify you in life. God, that we would have the real hope that you give, that our faith, that our lives would reflect that we have hope. And from that hope would spring joy. God, we read in Romans that hope that is seen is no hope at all. And it's because what we put our hope in is bigger than what we can see. It's bigger than the moment. It's stronger than that which is coming against us. God, we pray that our hope would be in the unseen, in you, in the power that created the universe. That our hope would be in the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. That if we would confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. God, let that be our hope in all circumstances. In every season of life. At the high points, God, that we would sing you praise. At the low points, God, we would worship you just the same. And cry out to you, trusting for you to bring us through the dark times. Lord Jesus, we ask you to be our hope in all things. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.